All right, good morning. morning. How's everybody doing today? All right, y'all help me welcome those folks who are listening and watching online as well. Glad to have y'all with us. Um, I shared a couple of weeks ago that we are working on something online for your kids. If you have kids at home and you're watching online, uh, we're in the process of working on something for your kids to be doing so that they don't have to be bored by listening to me. And so if your kids are sitting there in the living room right now and you're having to, you know, deal with them not really wanting to be here for this, there's something better coming, but we're trying to make sure that it is great before we unveil it. So uh, you'll just have to tune in every week until we make that happen. Uh, it's so good to see all of you again this morning. What a full house. This is kind of cool. Um, we were talking the other day. This is uh, about the fourth week in a row that there has been more people at the second gathering than the first, uh, which is the first time that's happened since before COVID. So kind of interesting when COVID happened. I think er back then we had smaller gatherings at nine o'clock. And so I think everybody was like, I'm going to go to the smaller gathering. And then they realized they liked the nine o'clock gathering. And so uh, it is good to see the 11 o'clock gathering back full. Thank you so much um, for being here for that. And a lot of new faces, uh, guys just really doing some cool stuff around here. And uh, we're excited about that. And I uh, hope you are too. But this morning we're kicking off a brand new series uh, and we're super creative with this series. Um, it's kind of over the top with creativity. It's called David. Um, I know that's can't imagine how long we had to work on that uh, to get that. Actually, let me tell you about this series. This series I've been wanting to do for a while uh, that I didn't have a name for. And uh, this is actually not the series that was slated for this. This is a, a last second, fourth quarter punt this past week uh, to move some stuff around because we just kind of felt led to, to go a little different direction than where we were at. And uh, But I'm so looking forward to this series. I, I tell you, I... Uh, of all of the historical um, people, of all the, the, uh, of all the people in Scripture, uh, one of the most fun, one of the most insightful, uh, encouraging uh, people, I think, for us to take a look at is, the, is, the, is, is David and his life. And, and here's what I kind of, here's kind of what we're looking at over the next 10 weeks, is we're going to do a deep dive into David. Now, here, here's the irony. Um, most people, including people who don't go to church, have familiarity with David uh, for probably one of two reasons, either because he's considered the greatest king of Israel. And so, you know, the greatest kind of has some notoriety and people might know him because of that. But most people and most people who are outside the church world know him because of this thing uh, that he did called killing a giant. Uh, in fact, he kills a giant and the idea of David versus Goliath becomes a analogy for when somebody little beat somebody big, kind of like Appalachian State did with Texas A&M this week. Uh, I think there's only one person in the room that that's like a deep cut to. Um, but, you know, and I, I didn't really mean to deeply cut that person. It's just appropriate that the week that we talk about David, that happens. And, you know, Alabama also almost experienced it. And um, it is what it is. But um, but it's this idea, like most people, it's, it's crazy how outside the Bible world, people are still familiar with David because of two significant things that he did, uh, killing a giant and becoming king of Israel. And, and, and here's what I was intriguing to me. I think it's the story that most people don't know about David. I think it's the, the narratives that most people are unfamiliar with that are actually the most interesting and the most intriguing 
uh, as I've been preparing for this series and thinking about these stories, these, these narratives that, that span multiple books of the Bible even, um, the thing that has become intriguing to me is that I think that most of us in the room can find our story somewhere in David's story. You see, David was more than a king. He's more than a giant killer. In fact, over the next 10 weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about David the shepherd. We're going to talk about David the fighter, David the warrior, David the fugitive, David the dreamer, uh, David the failure, uh, David exposed. Uh, we're going to talk about David the loser and David the cynic. And then we're going to end the series talking about David the chosen. And, uh, and, and here's what I think you're going to find is as we do a dive into David's life, you will find these, these ebbs and flows, these mountains and valleys, these rises and falls where, where, where David is, is not always perfect. In fact, maybe the coolest thing about Scripture and studying the narratives of the people in Scripture is that the writers of Scripture didn't whitewash the stories. You know, we, we live in a day and time when the people who are most known in our world, particularly politicians, they try to spin whatever there is to make it sound a little more favorable, a little more tolerable, a little more palatable. But in Scripture, what we get is just the story as the story happens. And David is no exception. Throughout this series, you're going to find times when David is, is king and he is on top of the world. And in the next passage, David's life is filled with tragedy and, 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 and travesty. You'll, you'll find places where, where we, we see David described as a man after God's own heart. And, and then we see him where his family virtually falls apart because of his sinfulness. And somewhere over the next 10 weeks, I can almost guarantee you, you'll find yourself in one of David's stories. You might find yourself in more than one of David's stories. And over these next 10 weeks, what we want to do is to, try to, is to try to dig in and figure out what are the lessons that we can learn from David that we don't have to learn ourselves. Uh, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is to learn something from somebody without having to experience the pain of what it requires to learn that lesson. And I think David is a great example of things that we can learn to make sure that we prevent as much heartache as possible. Now, you say, so where do we start? I mean, that's a whole bunch of stuff about David, right? Whole lot of things that David experienced. Well, I want to start at the beginning. Uh, I, I think a great place to start at any story is to start at the beginning of the story. And, and I want to start where we kind of become familiar with David. And as we, as we look into David's life, I want, you, I want to ask you a question. And I want to encourage you to try to think through your answer to this question. I think really grasping and grappling with this answer has a lot to do with how important and how impactful this message might be for your life. And this is the question I want you to think about and try to answer is, where are you in your journey in this thing called life? Like where, how would you define where you're at? See, you know, it's interesting. One day we're all, I mean, all of our lives had a start. You know, it's our birthday. And then eventually all of our lives are going to have an end. And, and the irony is, is that they, they usually take this thing of marble and they put it where we're buried and they put those two dates on there as if that's the two most important dates. And the crazy thing is, neither one of those dates are near as important as the dash that's located between those dates. I mean, you really didn't have much to do with what day you were born on. I'd say you had nothing to do with it. You really don't have a whole lot to do with the last day that you're on earth, 
most of us. But we have a whole lot we can do and a lot of things that can affect that dash that represents the days of our lives in between those two dates. And if you were to think about that dash right now, how would you define where you are in that journey? You see, I, I think life is best described that way, as a, as a journey. A journey that starts on the day we're born and ends on the day we die. But, but then there's, there's little journeys and sub-journeys all along the way, right? Because, and, and the one I really want you to think about is this. Where are you at on your spiritual journey? You see, somewhere in that dash, it is our hope, it's our prayer, it's our dream, that somewhere in that journey that you get exposed to this truth, that God loved you so much that he would send his son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins, to purchase a place in heaven for you that he offers as a free gift and extends an invitation to you to be a part of his family. And at the moment that you're exposed to that truth and come face to face with that reality, it's kind of a crisis of faith moment where you're required to take faith and action where you're required to make some type of decision based on that statement. And my question is, where are you as a result of that question, that reality, that truth? See, some of you may be here this morning, you know, Matt, I've never, I've never made a decision to trust Christ. I've never placed my faith in Jesus. In fact, I don't even go to church. I don't really know if I even like church. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody offered you lunch if you would just come and hang out at church. Like, I hope there's somebody here that way, by the way, this morning. I don't know if you are, and I don't want you to raise your hand. If you're here, I want you to know that, that you're the reason we do everything we do. I, I love people who come to Life Point that are skeptical and cynical. You're my favorite people. My second favorite people are the people who offer you lunch to come. Like, like seriously, if, 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 just Life Point people, let's say you've got some folks in your life that need Jesus. Why don't we start trying that tactic? Hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? And they go, eh, I don't really like church. Do you like Buffalo Wild Wings? I'll take you there afterwards. It's a good plan. I mean, two thoughts to that. Who could say no to that? And why don't me and you do that sometime this next week? That'd be a great plan, right? I'll just go with you. If they say no, I'll fill in for them, right? I'll just go with you to lunch, right? We can make that work. Just, you know, it's a win-win, right? I mean, I, that way you don't have to feel the disappointment of, you know, being told no, Right? So maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even like church. I don't even know anything about church. So I would say then in your spiritual journey, you're at a place where this morning you've been introduced to the idea that God loves you so much that he would die for you. And, and you could just say, that's where I'm at. I, I'm not ready to make a decision, but that's just where I'm at. Now, some of you may be here and you're like, man, I've made that decision in my life. And sadly, one of the things that I've experienced and that I've noticed in the times that I have been the pastor of this church and times I've spent in ministry and just kind of watching people, is sadly there's a lot of people who've made that decision and they think that's the end of the decision. And I would say to you, that's just the beginning of the journey. If all you've done in regards to your spiritual journey is you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then I would say to you this morning, maybe the way you would answer that question is, well, I'm just at the beginning. All I've done is believed. I've never done anything with my faith. And that's okay. Just be honest this morning. Go, well, that's where I'm at. Some of you may be like, hey, I've, I've been walking in the way of Jesus. And, 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 and for you, I would say, try to define exactly where you are. Because this morning, you need to know where are you in the story? Where are you at in your journey? And what I want to do, I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. It's, it's going to be in about the first 25 to 33% of your Bible, kind of toward the front, 1 Samuel. Um, you, you can find it there. You can flip there. If you're like most people at LifePoint, you're probably going to turn in your Bible that's on your phone. And that's pretty simple. That's like two clicks. Bible app, 1 Samuel, right? And, and, and then you get to pick whatever version you want to read out of. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, but if you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, I want to paint the picture of where we're at in, in like the, the nation of Israel history, right? So the nation of Israel, uh, all the way back to God beginning this thing called the nation of Israel with a guy named Abraham, had never had a king, right? From Abraham all the way to Saul, the nation of Israel had existed without a king. I mean, God was their king. And there were times they'd been ruled by judges who would meet, they would hear the stories, and they would make decisions based on, you know, what was presented to them. But they'd never had this, they'd never been a, I mean, they'd always been a theocracy led by God. They'd never been like, they'd never been like a king or a government or a president or anything like that. And, And then the nation of Israel decided to do what almost all of you did when you were teenagers Begin to look around, this is what they said. Well, I want what everybody else has got. And so they begin to look around and goes, everybody's got king. We want a king. And God tried to tell them, you're not going to want a king. And they're like, well, what do you know, God? You don't know what I want. I want a king. We want a king. And we want a king. And they just kept saying, we want a king. And finally, God said, okay, I'll give you a king. So he gave him Saul. And Saul was the king of Israel. And Saul ruled. And, and it wasn't what the nation of Israel wanted. I mean, they found themselves in wars they really didn't want to be in, and they found themselves in situations they didn't want to be in, and, you know, it just wasn't great. And eventually, Saul disobeyed God, and, and God turned away from Saul, and he said, I, I've got other plans. And it was a guy named Samuel that was the prophet in Israel at the time. And God had spoken to Samuel and said, my spirit is no longer with Saul. And that grieved, that burdened Samuel. And it should, right? They were friends, they were acquaintances, they worked together. And also Samuel loved Saul, I imagine. But but God had turned away from Samuel and was doing something different. And in chapter 16, we pick up with Saul, with Samuel being grieved over God turning away from Saul and turning to something else. And in chapter 16, verse 1. God asked Samuel a question. He says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? He says, how, how long are you going to do this? You've grieved long enough. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. He's like, look, the grieving is over. I'm doing something different. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing different. It is time for you to go fill your horn up with oil and go. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. All right, it means he's from Bethlehem. Some of you didn't pick up on that. Bethlehemite. Actually, a keynote from Apple has no clue what a Bethlehemite is. It puts them squiggly lines under there, and it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And you have to go in and tell it. No, that's, that's good. Jesse was from Bethlehem. He's a Bethlehemite. And then notice this. He says, for I, this is God talking to Samuel, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. All right? So God comes to Samuel and goes, hey, here's the deal going to be a new king. It is your job to go and anoint the new king. And I'm going to tell you whose family he's in. And I'm going to tell you where they're from. There's a guy named Jesse, lives in Bethlehem, got some boys. 
one of his sons is going to be the next king. And so Saul, uh, Samuel's like, well, here's the deal. If, Sam, if Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint another king, that's not going to be really good for me. And so God says, no, it's fine. Here's the plan. What I want you to do is I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to find, Dave, I want you to find uh, Jesse and tell Jesse that you have come to provide a sacrifice. We're, you're going to have a sacrifice. We're, we're throwing a party where we have a sacrifice to God. Go have a worship service. Uh, bring your boys, because one of your boys is going to be anointed as king. All right? So that's what, they, that's what he does. He decides to go to Bethlehem, and, and he's going to do that. So he shows up in Bethlehem, and, and that's exactly what happened. Samuel did what the Lord commanded him. And he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city come out to him to meet him trembling. And they're like, have you come peaceably? Because they, they know the reputation of Saul. And they're like, oh boy, God's prophet's here. What is Saul doing? And he says, peaceably, I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Now watch this. Once you see this line, it's so important. And he consecrated Jesse, which means got him ready for the sacrifice. You know, went through all that process. And his, who? sons and invited them to the sacrifice. All right, so let's make sure we know what's going on here. I don't want to, I want to make sure you get it. You got to get the picture. God tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem, find Jesse. One of his sons is going to be the king. Invite them to the party. And once you're there, I'm going to show you which one of the boys is the king. Anything you can anoint him. Okay, so he goes, hey, Jesse, Consecrate yourself. Let's go to the sacrifice. One of your boys is going to be king. Jesse's like, I'm telling you, there could have been no better news for Jesse. The greatest news Jesse could get was this. One of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. That is a life changer. If your family are shepherds and one of your boys is now going to be king, there's some upgrading that happens at that moment. Right? I mean, Jesse is like, I mean, that's like winning the lottery. That's like Nick Saban showing up at your house saying one of your boys is going to be the next quarterback. Like all of a sudden, you, are, you, you, you've got some fringe benefits coming. Okay? And so Jesse's like, well, yeah, I'm coming to that party, and I'm going to bring my sons. So Jesse and his sons are invited, and they go to the sacrifice, right? So they get there. Jesse and the kids are there. The boys are there. It's a big deal. Who's going to be the king? And one by one, they begin to start bringing the sons to meet Samuel. I mean, can you imagine how much preparation went into that for Jesse? It's like, well, I need to figure out the best way to highlight my boys. You know, he brings Eliab. Like, surely this will be him. Brings him by to see Samuel. Samuel's like, mm, no, that's not him. Maybe, maybe Samuel's like, I know what it is. He's looking for the strong one and the big one. Brings the big strong son by. No, not him. Maybe brings the smart one by. No, that's not him. One by one, he brings all of his sons by to meet Samuel. And one by one, Samuel's like, that's not him. This is not the one the Lord has chosen. And eventually, eventually, Samuel has to ask this question. Eventually, Samuel says to Jesse, are all of your sons here? You know, and I know what's happened at this moment. At this moment, Samuel is like, maybe I heard God wrong. 
I could have sworn that I heard him say, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. At this point, he's like, maybe my, maybe my hearing's not good. I mean, all the boys have lined up. We've gone through every one of them, and none of them have been the one. All of a sudden, he's like, man, maybe it wasn't Jesse at all. I mean, maybe I heard some other name. I mean, maybe I didn't get my ears checked. You know, he's starting to second guess. So he goes, Jesse, are all of your boys here? Is this all of them? And watch this. And he says, there remains yet the youngest, but. I mean, there's one more, but. He's the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he gets here. Now, I want you to understand this. When I ask you, where are you at in your journey? I wonder how many people in the room, and no show of hands here. I wonder how many of you just went, well, I mean, nowhere special. I mean, not, I, mean I don't even know how to define where I'm at in my journey. I mean, I'm, I'm just normal. I'm just an average student. I'm just another employee at the place I work. I'm just trying to survive tomorrow. Some of you moms are like, where am I at in the journey? I'll tell you where I feel like I'm at in the journey. I'm in a perpetual car line. That's where I'm at in the journey, right? I know that some mamas like, I, I'm just trying to make it through the week, Matt. I, I'm, I'm just an addict. I, I'm just another nobody that's messed up their life. Can, can I tell you something that's crazy? There was a day in King David's life that his dad was told, one of your boys is going to be the next king, and he got told to stay at home and watch the sheep. His dad was so convinced it ain't you that he went, hey, me and the rest of the boys are going to see who's king. You stay and watch the sheep. Tending sheep was more important to Jesse than determine whether David was king. Because nobody thought David was going to be the one to be the king. And when they go through every one of them, and none of them are it, even at that point, when they asked Jesse, when, when Samuel asked Jesse, is there another one? He goes, well, yeah, I mean, there is, but he's just a keeper of the sheep. I, I wonder how many people in the room feel like a justa. Like a what? A justa? You're just another average person. You're just another somebody that nobody pays any attention to. You're just, nobody, nobody's got, nobody feels like you're special. Nobody considers you talented. Nobody thinks you've got a lot of capability. You're just a, just another average person. And if today you feel like a just a, understand this. There was a day that David's dad thought he was just a just a. Jesse, you got any more boys? Oh, I mean, I do. One more. The youngest. But he is just tending sheep. And Samuel says, go get that one. Go get that one and bring that one back. I don't know how he did it. They send somebody. I'm sure send the other boys. And don't you know if that's what he did, the other boys were just annoyed. <sighs> got to go get, got to go get the baby. Poor thing. Got to go get him, get him clean up. Got to go see Samuel. My dad didn't even want him to come. Now Samuel's like, got to get him. They finally reluctantly show back up with David. David goes up, shake hands with Samuel. 
He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The other brother's like, I hate his guts. <laughs> David's like, I'm more than just a good looking face. Ruddy, had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him. For this is he. That's the one I was looking for. You see, maybe you're here this morning. You're like, Matt, I'm just ordinary. I am nothing special. Well, let me tell you something I kind of notice. I, I, I feel like I'm a noticer. As I've walked through the pages of Scripture and I read the narratives, it's interesting to me that far more often than not, God chooses the ordinary to do extraordinary things. It's not always the most talented. It's not always the brightest. It's not always the best. It's not always the one that has their act together. Sometimes he uses a shepherd to be, to be a king. A shepherd! Let me make sure you understand this, because we don't have many shepherds around here. Shepherds kind of like reserved for the people who couldn't do anything else. You know what shepherds do? Watch sheep. You know what sheep do? Dumb stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a tough job. I mean, there's times when a bear comes out and you got to kill them, or a lion comes out and you got to kill it, protect them. I mean, they got nothing to protect themselves. But I mean, you're keeping sheep. It's not exactly like, it doesn't really require the summa cum laude of the world to do that. It's kind of like this. There's a sheep. <laughs> going to watch it. And have a really cool hook. And a sling. I mean, there's some benefit. But I mean, it doesn't require a lot. It's ordinary. There was nobody in Israel. Well, I'm telling you what I want to be when I grow up. I'm going to make myself somebody. Going to be a shepherd. Never said. Just ordinary. And yet God looked at the ordinary and goes, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Some pretty incredible stuff. Be the greatest king Israel's ever known. And most importantly, most importantly, I'm going to change the world through one of his kids. So I look through the pages of Scripture, I see people like Peter and Andrew and James and John, disciples who were just ordinary. And God invited them into an extraordinary story. But there's a point in their life that just like David, they have an interaction with the king of the world and an opportunity to be invited into something greater than what they were experiencing. Peter and Andrew were just a fisherman. James and John, just fishermen. Matthew, just a tax collector. One of the disciples was was just a zealot. The other ones, we don't even necessarily know what they were because they were so ordinary, they didn't even get their name mentioned as to what they did. Just ordinary like David. But they have an extraordinary encounter with an extraordinary God invited into doing something extraordinary. If you're just an ordinary person, you're a perfect candidate be a part of something significant that God wants to do in your life. I would say if I was trying to figure out what can I learn from David's story of how things started, how things began, I, I would say this. I would say that where you are 
doesn't have to determine where you finish. Where you are currently doesn't have to define how God ultimately uses you. What people think about you doesn't determine what you end up doing. The mistakes you've made don't have to define who you are. You say, how do you know that, Matt? I'm just an addict. I'm just an addict that, I mean, I've messed up more times than I can count. It doesn't have to define who you are. As I look around this room, I can introduce you to dozens of people that at one point in their life was just an addict, and today they have overcome by the grace of God, and many of them are serving as leaders and helping other people with the same problems, experience the same freedom, because at some point they were ordinary, they had an extraordinary experience with an extraordinary God, and that encounter led to extraordinary things, and where they're at today was not determined by where they were then, and the same thing is a possibility for you. Where you're at doesn't have to determine where you finish. You say, well, what, what does? I mean, let's just hypothetically assume that there's somebody here today that you're like, where I'm at on my journey is not where I want to be. What do I do, Matt? Well, I want to show you something that God said to Samuel that I think is the linchpin and the hinge on the requirement of what it's going to take if you want to move from where you are to where God wants you. Remember me telling you that Samuel paraded his boys by, or Jesse paraded his boys by Samuel. Well, as he's parading them by, God says something to Samuel that's the linchpin to the whole conversation. It changes everything. And it could be the linchpin that holds the hinge to where you end up in life. Watch, I want to show you what he says. When they came, he's talking about the boys. When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab. And he thought, this was the when he looked and he saw Eliab, Jesse's son, this is what he thought. Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. I don't know what he saw. Maybe, maybe he was big, maybe he was strong, maybe he was smart, maybe he was bright, maybe he was good looking. I don't know. But something about him, when Samuel got a first impression, he went, that's got to be the king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, maybe, maybe the thing that you need to hear this morning is that what determines where you finish and what God uses you to do is not so much upon your talent, your influence, your abilities, your talents, your, your capability, how many people you know, how smart you are, how many degrees you got. But instead, maybe it has everything to do with what you allow God to do with your heart. Maybe what stands in the way of where you are and what God wants you to do is what's going on on the inside. Maybe, maybe you need to invite God to search your heart to determine if there's any iniquity within you and invite him into the places that only he sees and ask God to, to, to inspect your motivations, to inspect your intentions, your thoughts and your attitudes, the way you make decisions. You see, it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. 
And it seems as though that was the determining factor of what made him the perfect candidate to be the next king. Notice he wasn't perfect. He was just the perfect candidate to be the next king because of something going on with his heart. We're going to sing one more song here in a few minutes. We want to invite you during that time to consider a little heart inspection. Maybe a little heart checkup. Maybe you just take a, the time here in a few minutes and you just kind of look and say, God, what's going on in my heart? Where I, who I really am and where my thoughts come from and, and where my, my motives come from, my motivation. God, what, what's going on in here? And maybe you invite God into the deep, dark spaces of your heart and say, God, I, I want to move from where I am to where you want me. And if there's anything in there standing in the way of that, I want you to clean it up. Tomorrow night at midnight, we're actually going to begin 168 hours straight of prayer. Where 168 plus different people have signed up for an hour to pray. I think it's interesting the message that comes right before that. And I know that our prayer team has worked diligently on providing you a prayer guide. But I, I want to ask that you do this. For the hour that you have to pray, I want you to take a portion of that time. And I want you to consider this passage of Scripture. That God says, man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. And I want you to ask God. I want you to pray and ask God. God, when you look at my heart, I want you to be, I want it to bring a smile to your face. I want, it to, I want it to please you. Do a work in me that makes what's going on inside me pleasing to you. Because listen, when we get the inside right, when, when we allow God to do a work on the inside, it comes out on the outside and we begin to do incredible things for Him in our communities and in our world. Because where God wants to take you is dependent upon you being willing to make the adjustments inside where you're at right now. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we're going to gather right here. Those 168 people, I hope, and you're welcome. And you say, there's not a slot for me. There's always a slot for you. We'll double them up, triple them up, quadruple them up. In fact, we filled them all up, so you can just go get whichever one you want now. But tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we're going to meet right here. And we're going to pray together for an hour before our 168-hour start. I'd love for you to be here. And tomorrow night, we'll make that, that hour about this very conversation that the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks at the outward, outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we will, we will do everything we can to, to tune our hearts toward what God wants to do. You see, if you, if you want to end somewhere different than where you're at, it begins with ensuring that your heart is tuned to the heart of God. May we be men and women after God's own heart. Where you're at doesn't have to determine where you finish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example that we have in David. Thank you for this story that you remind us that what you value is very different than what we often value. Thank you that you value what's going on on the inside. And thank you that you sent your son so that we could have a changed heart, a new heart. That we could be new creations, totally different because of your grace and your mercy and what you did on the cross. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you're like, I'd like to do that. Maybe right where you're at, you would just, 
you'd be ready to pray a very simple prayer of faith that just says, Lord, I, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose three days later. I place my trust in you. I invite you into my life. I receive you as Savior. If you, if you, if you do that this morning, if you, if you maybe just as I was praying, you prayed that. I'd love to know about it. I'd love for you to take that card that's sitting somewhere near you. Put, a, put your name on it and a phone number that we can reach you. Check the box that says, today I receive Christ as my Savior. If you'll, you take the first step, we'll help you take the next steps. Whatever you need to do this morning, I, I do want you to know our altar is open as we sing. May you take a few minutes and just inspect your heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move freely in this space. That people would, would hear your voice, feel your presence. That you give us the courage to adjust our lives in the way that we need to. That where we're at doesn't have to be where we finish. In Jesus' name, amen.